0: Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined today by Catherine Rubino, my colleague at Above the Law. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
0: You know, not not too bad. Uh, we're. I, I mean, j- I, yeah.
1: I'm exhausted. I guess that that's a far more accurate uh, answer to the question, how am I doing, than... Uh, than a really bland and generic fine thanks. How about you?
0: Why? Um has has it been like a busy news day or something?
1: <laughs> it, it is it has been particularly busy today, that is correct.
0: <laughs> so uh it, the subjects that we're going to cover today, this is going to be we don't have a guest this week, and we're going to talk because there's nothing really else to talk about, we're going to cover a lot of the breaking news that we've dealt with. Largely about law firms and the cutbacks that many of them are making to deal with the, you know, with what's going on pandemic-wise. Uh, but we'll also dance around some other topics. This will just be your general catch-up on what's all COVID-related in the legal. I sphere. mean,
1: only having to do one thing at a time kind of seems like a break right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I actually just got off a media panel. I was part of Rocket Aid, which was a charity trade show that was done mm. all online because most of our legal technology trade shows have been canceled. All
1: been canceled, like every trade show in the country. <laughs> now, I mean,
0: it, ILTA is still theoretically on, uh, but it is in, I think, that's, August. So that's
1: usually, yeah, I just, that's so, like the end of August here. So. <laughs> uh,
0: so I don't know what exact dates it has. Uh, they have not canceled, uh, still holding out Hope mm. there, but a lot of the other shows have already gone by the wayside. So... Rocket Matter put on Rocket Aid, which was an online webinar-style show running for two days. And I just did the media panel with some of our... So
1: what did, what was a media panel all about? Give us the uh, the synopsis. I mean, we talked
0: a lot about what we're hearing in the news and what it's like to cover this. Uh, trends that we might be seeing as journalists that others aren't. In a lot of ways... A lot of what this conversation is going to be about, I think, uh, just <laughs> so, just it'll just be different. us, and we don't we, we, without uh, having Bob Ambrosie here or Caroline talking about the England side of things. Uh, so it'll just be us. But yeah, so before we get to that, one of the trends that. That Bob mentioned, actually, Bob Ambrosi mentioned on this webinar, was that an encouraging bit of news Mm -hmm. that he's seen has been all of the legal technology vendors who are going out of their way to help. There's no better time than that to ask you, you know, are you trying to cut costs? You're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit logical.com/slash LTN. That's logic with a K C U L L dot com forward slash LTN. So there you see how that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it very. Fit, yeah. I mean, it, it fit seamlessly, and that was. It did. Uh, a, it did. I mean, I didn't make that up. That was part of the conversation. You can watch the panel and all the other good panels, uh, and not to say that mine wasn't good, but uh, all of the other great panels happening have been recorded, and you may be able to find those at the Rocket Aid site. So,
1: yeah, that's really. I mean, you know, obviously, it's a to say it's a tumultuous time is is a bit of an understatement, but you know, you have to imagine that, particularly for legal tech vendors, that. You know, it, this is the time to prove your point. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, if there was ever uh, – you know, lawyers often get a reputation, probably deserve it for being uh, Luddites and resistant to change, and and that's all fair. But um, nothing nothing quite like the Rona to force you to to do a lot of the stuff that you probably should have already been doing.
0: Yeah, and that came up too. Uh, speaking about the UK side of things, I can't remember if it Joanna or Carolyn, but somebody on that panel – Pointed out that the resistance to change over there, where it was discussed that it might take years to coax the courts into allowing this kind of technology to do this and yeah. that, uh, it took two weeks for them to rewrite all their rules to adjust. And that's something that would never have happened, but for the mm-hmm. necessity. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's a that's it's a, it's a it's an important lesson. You know, is that when you have to, you actually can do these things.
0: Speaking of necessity, unfortunately, when it comes to the legal industry, you've been covering, it seems as though some of these law firms are making cutbacks.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for several weeks now, um, we've been running stories um, pretty much constantly um, about law firms that are cutting either or what I call you know, the COVID-19 austerity measures. Uh, sometimes their pay cuts sometimes their benefits cuts sometimes their partner draw cuts um furloughs. sometimes their furloughs sometimes they're layoffs so you know we, we've kind of seen run, run the gamut and you know the firms that are are being impacted you know you're seeing and you've talked a little bit about I know in the past a kind of the the distinction between the amla 100 and the amla 200 and sort of how it's bifurcating the big law industry um, and certainly we've seen a lot of AMLA, two hundred firms, kind of that one hundred one to two hundred, taking some pretty big hits and being really proactive about doing these cuts. But as the longer this goes on, we're seeing more and more firms that are that have bigger and bigger revenue numbers making cuts. A couple of firms that have billion dollar gross revenue numbers are still cutting salaries. Uh, you know, and it's I don't see any end to it. You know, even firms that. Believe that they're on good financial footing, and probably are on good financial footing at the moment. Have no idea, really, what the next month or so is going to bring. How long these things will going to last? What their collections will, will look like? You know, what their clients industries are going to look like in in a couple months. So a lot of this stuff is very much an open question.
0: Yeah. No, I think you hit on one word there that is really important: is collections. Yeah. And I feel as though because. Some courts are closed and stuff like that, but the law hasn't stopped. There are still right. things out there. And there's still, in some ways, it's it's arguable that there's more out there. There's going to be bankruptcies. There's going to be mergers and acquisitions. With the market collapsing, there's going to be private equity and fund work. These family offices, these folks who've been sitting on money because the they felt the market was overvalued, they're going to start making deals and investments now. And that means lawyers are going to be working, so it's not as though the work has disappeared. So, what is it that's slowing down? That's triggering these austerity measures, and I really do think it's it's a pay cycle issue. It's for sure the clients have work, but they don't know when they'll get paid, so they're dragging things out, and it's it's uh, and it's cascades.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I can't remember now. I've written, so, I've written so much this. I've written so many of these articles. Um, I can't remember exactly which firm it was. Uh, but one firm in we got you know somebody a tipster sent a copy of the um the, the email or memo uh, announcing the austerity measures, and the firm was very upfront with their employees and said, compared to you know this month for last year, our collections are down seventeen percent. And that's that's a really big hit. And so if we want, it's a cash flow issue. I, from from all of the documents that we're seeing from a wide variety of firms, really, the concern is cash flow um, and cutting back on these partner draws or, um, you know, salaries, the biggest, one of the biggest overhead expenses that firms have. You know, what is a law firm, but it's not as people, you know? So cutting back on those costs allow, a lot of firms think that it's, it's going to, allow them to have flexibility. And I think one of the the key distinctions that we're seeing in this down cycle versus the 2009 cycle, which was kind of the last big, big law set of layoffs um, is that, well, back in 2009, it was pretty much only layoffs. That was the the go-to move for big law firms. You didn't see folks really doing big salary cuts or partner cuts or furloughs even, you know, furloughs, you know, with the assumption that within a few weeks and or months, those employees will be hired back once demand is back. But you didn't really see those moves nearly as much as you're as you're seeing them now, and I think that firms are trying to avoid wherever possible laying off and letting go folks for a bunch of reasons. Um, I think that you know transparency and realizing that they have to deal with the recruiting hit that they are going to take if they have big layoffs is a big part of it. Um, but I also think that. No one really wants to let people go during a pandemic That's, that That seems particularly cruel. <laughs> wow. You know, the, the economic impact is, is only part of what we're, the world is going through right now. Um, obviously, it's a big part, but it's only part of what's going on. So I think that folks are trying to come up with solutions and ways to make cuts that will keep people on their health insurance because, of course, you know, without a national health insurance. Um, (laughs) Everyone's health insurance is largely tied to their jobs. And so no one wants to really force their employees to, or potentially former employees, to be without during this time. And I think that they're trying to come up with more solutions.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's it's true. And uh, a a, a lot of these firms have said, as you pointed out, that they're cutting back now with an eye toward fixing that down the road when the collections come back in. Uh, There have been a few who've said, no, this is really a reduction. Sorry. And that distinction, which sometimes is hard to see off the top, people see salaries cut 15% and they just walk away. But there is a distinction, I think, that is important between firms that are telling us we're cutting it, but we expect to get it back versus those who say, oh, no, this this is a permanent cut.
1: Yeah, I think that um, – I, I think there's actually a third kind of level of distinction. There are firms that are cutting salaries at the moment and saying, you know, we will do – kind of make whole bonuses at the end of the year assuming, mm-hmm. you know, our money is where it, we expect it to be at the end of the year. There are firms that are making cuts, but those are a, only for a short amount of time. Yes, it is not a deferral and payment. It is a cut in payments, but it is only – we anticipate it only being from May through September. There are other ones that say it will be a cut in salary from now until we don't know. Right. Or until um, at least the end of the year. I've seen that that phrasing as well. Uh, and I think that, you know, kind of that third category where, you know, these are very much indefinite cuts. There are, you know, and it's they're long, anticipated to be longer um, than some other places. I think those are the, the folks that long term are going to have uh, smaller starting salaries.
0: A topic we haven't broached much yet here, but I think is something to consider, is that when we come out, start coming out of this this run, I think a lot of those, you, well, you talked about the gap between the AMLA 100, I'd say even maybe the AMLA 50 and the rest. Uh, when that starts moving, I think what people aren't talking about that's going to happen are some of those 150 to 75 firms are going to start becoming attractive targets for mergers and takeovers. Uh, they're, They're cash strapped. They have good business. They have good books of business, good relationships with clients, but they are cash strapped in a way that they aren't going to be able to recover from in time to cover all of their expenses. And, oh, look, here comes... Another firm with similar issues or slightly better off is on cash, but not as good positioned with business. Here's a merger. I think we could mm-hmm. see a very different landscape among that lower part of the AmLaw 100 to 200 than we do today. Uh, a lot of names will be shifted around, let's say.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that that's, that's very, very true. I think that that. F- there's a lot of firms that have to change the way that they do business. And that was probably true. It was just going to take a lot longer for that, for for them to kind of be forced into it. Mm -hmm. um, Absent, absent the pandemic. But for sure, uh, I think that this has, has sped stuff up because I mean, even, you know, God willing, you know, someone finds a a vaccine tomorrow for COVID. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That's what we're all, you know, would love, but that doesn't, automatically uh kind of undo all of the economic impacts right and the way that the the way that the economy works and the way that that you know a, a lot of this stuff isn't going to come back or will come back in a different form or you know and and there's a lot of kind of shifting and if your firm is dependent on industries that have been radically or, or hit by this upheaval you're going to have to make some big changes
0: Well, let's transition here to the other half of the the above-the-law hallway, and we have been talking a lot about the law firm side. Let's talk a little bit about the not-yet-law firm side, and by that I mean the bar exam and licensing. One of the issues to come out of this is for any of you who've ever taken a bar exam, you probably sat within a foot and a half of some other person <laughs> that you didn't know in a crowded Not warehouse. that you were
1: cheating. Let's yeah. be clear. <laughs> and
0: that's something that probably you can't do in July. And for that reason, the bar exams across the country are largely canceling. If they haven't done it yet, they are about to cancel their July administrations. They are eyeing some dates in September, but even at that, they're starting to worry that they won't have the ability to put people together in quite the same numbers as they have before, both because there will still be some lingering concerns. Also, there even if there aren't, there are issues with the locations. They have booked certain convention halls in July, mm-hmm. and they are not available in September or right. whatever. And there are just many reasons why the bar exam is facing some real problems and may not be able to get everyone handled in September, even if they could do a September session, which September sessions also raise knock-on effects. You can't necessarily go to Town Hall, uh, which is a venue in New York, uh, which is where I certainly did my bar prep. You can't pack that venue. And the bar, even though it's not necessarily beholden to bar prep, courses uh, has to take into account that the bar prep courses are going to need their time to meet with everybody and go through their curriculum. So with that said, we enter a weird place where the bar exams, in particular speaking mostly through the NCBE, who administers the tests that everybody around the country basically takes, are making the argument that we're going to charge forward with this anyway. And a lot of students and faculty have raised, well, maybe we shouldn't try to force this through. (laughs) And it's been interesting. And I think the the most recent example here is that Utah appears poised to join Wisconsin, who has been doing it since like 1870 or something like that. But Utah is preparing to join at least temporarily but obviously toothpaste in the tube situations, at least temporarily, abandoning the bar exam altogether for the current class and saying, if you were supposed to be taking the July bar exam and you went to a law school and graduated, congratulations, the subject matter portion of admission, the bar exam portion of admission, we're going to take your law school diploma as enough on that. And now kindly turn in your professional responsibility stuff and character and fitness and we'll start evaluating that.
1: I don't know, man. Um it sounds uh, you know, you obviously cover the law school industry um a lot more than I cover it. But it, it, you know, I think that there's a fair question about um particularly with so many um law school, you know, the any given state's our passage rate is not 100%. If there was ever a value in saying that those folks were not qualified at that point to practice law, I mean, that hasn't gone away, right?
0: True. Uh, But the question of the efficacy of the exam has always been there. I I, I think there's a two-pronged answer to this. The first prong is the efficacy of it has always been an issue. I mean, we had, you know, Quinn Emanuel, named partner, dean of Stanford Law School, Failing bar exams, right? Sure. sure.
1: Well, I mean, as an adult
0: Supreme Court litigator, failing a bar exam—that's that's that's a testament to a problem with the way in which we test. Uh, There are other problems with the way in which we test. And one argument, and we had an article about this when the NCBE wrote a letter trashing the idea of letting people just get in with their diploma. The NCBE in this letter. Begins by saying that the value is, and the reason the bar exam is better than any law school diploma is that the law schools have a bunch of essay questions graded by professors, but we are multiple choice, and multiple choice is better. Fast well, forward- that seems
1: inaccurate. Fast forward, <laughs> well, I
0: mean, it, it, it makes I mean, it more reliable. Well, fast forward is, three pages in this same letter, and when they deal with the criticism that- there's a disproportionate passage rate, in particular, there's a racial component to it, but there's also a disproportionate pass rate among men taking the test and women, they say, oh, that's just because men statistically do better on multiple choice tests. Well, then that's a problem with relying on multiple choice <laughs> tests, is yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the,
1: <laughs> the, the other thing is is, you know, being a lawyer is not a multiple choice problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it is far more akin to a long, long,
0: long essay question. <laughs> exactly. And and that's the issue. I feel as though what the results of the bar exam are, especially given the reliant, over-reliance on multiple choice, are not necessarily representative of the capacity to be a lawyer in the same way that passing law school is, uh, where you do have years worth of, You know, doing essays. Uh, On the flip side of that, of course, is that you're right. There are law schools out there who are bad at what they do, uh, who take students who probably aren't prepared to be lawyers, churn them through, take their money, and then go out and they fail the bar exam. And a lot of that, my argument, which obviously doesn't address the temporary extension of diploma privilege, and as far as the temporary extension, I think It is A, because it is a very difficult time, and therefore it's kind of a one-off, but B, it does have to, and there's been some good work done on this in a paper that a number of law professors contributed to, on diploma privilege plus, a situation where it's not just that you have your law degree, but you also then have to go through an apprenticeship-style program under the supervision of an admitted attorney to make sure you really are up to it. And frankly, that I think that's useful in that I think there's a high likelihood we're going to see some of these students who might not be ready to practice, the issue being not more subject matter help, but more practical skills, and maybe they'll be better served by this sort of situation. Additionally, more rigorous CLE requirements for people who go through this to make sure that they're staying up to snuff Uh, some more tests rather than just like, oh, I watched it click, but something to keep (laughs) guaranteeing that the progress is being made. So I think that that all is key for the short term. In the longer term, though, I do believe that a lot of these bad diploma mill schools get away with what they do because regulators don't have the incentive and they are not empowered by the usually supreme courts of states to really crack down on these schools because everybody kind of shrugs and says, "Uh, we'll we'll, we'll sort (laughs) it out at the bar exam. Uh, And that's really an unfortunate place to pipeline a bunch of students who aren't going to pass the exam, but don't worry, we'll wait until after they've spent $150,000, $200,000 before we tell them that they aren't ready. That's bad. And I think that if we move to something more akin to this Diploma Privilege Plus, we would have a situation like they have in Wisconsin, who has been, again, doing this for over 100 years, where... The state regulators are involved in ensuring that the law schools who are eligible for that, Marquette, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin law schools, have a curriculum that reflects what, a required curriculum that reflects what's necessary, accreditation standards that ensure that they are pumping out people who are going to do the job and protect the public. And I think that if we can move towards an incentive to fix the law schools in the first place, that's probably better than... Continuing to have diploma mills and saying, "Yeah, we'll have a test later."
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me like these are are big changes that may not be resolved just because of, uh, and certainly can't be resolved on on the this quick of a turnaround, right? Like to really change law legal education that takes several years at least to implement.
0: You know, you say that. On the other hand, there is something to be said for how we began this conversation, right? Sure, we, began, sure. we began by talking about courts who said they wouldn't change for years, uh, certain practices, doing it in two weeks. And there is there's something to the crisis. And I feel sure, as though, sure. obviously, no one's really talking and no one in, important. I mean, I am. But no one important is talking. <laughs> no one in a position of power. How about that? Not not saying I'm not important. But no one in a position of power is talking about these becoming permanent changes But there is that impulse that this is an opportunity to do some experimentation. We have to make a temporary solution. This is a fair temporary solution. But we get now to track that solution over time and really ask ourselves, do we need licensing to exist the way we currently have it? Or do we just do that because that's what we did last year and the year before that? Are we just blind to tradition and just doing this when it's not really the best way to ensure that the lawyers out there are, meet the minimum level of competency and are able and protecting the public.
1: I think that that is also a, um, a distinction, right? This is not, it doesn't matter if you get an A plus on the bar exam, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's a, it's a floor, not a ceiling. Outside right? of,
0: so... outside of the, the novel, the firm, it does not matter. That was uh, <laughs> that was the whole point there. He got to, he got that cushy job because he got the highest score on the bar exam. As though that's a thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough.
0: Yeah, anyway, but no, that was uh, that was our catching up on bar exam stuff. Uh, there's also a little bit of a thing. I don't want to belabor it too much, but there's obviously issues with law schools and how they're going to deal with grades this semester pretty much everybody has moved to a mandatory pass-fail blanket system for all of the grades this semester. Not not
1: quite everyone, though, right?
0: Not quite, not quite. There are a few holdouts, different kinds of holdouts. Uh, Notre Dame and Baylor now are doing a optional system where you can say, oh, now I want those to be pass-fail. Uh, as, or or actually before grading, say, oh, I've decided I'm gonna make these pass fail, as opposed to it being blanket. Uh there are reasons why I don't think that's a particularly well thought out plan that I've covered in some articles. It just it seems as though you're projecting to potential employers that a certain segment of your population who may be Claiming pass fail for a variety of reasons, you put them in a position of standing out versus the other people in the class for reasons that may or may not actually be reflected by their actual achievement. Uh, so it doesn't make any sense. It's also it also strikes me as largely stupid to the extent that we have you know a long time in law, many semesters in law school to figure out how people are good at at what they do, and we don't mm-hmm. need to the the death drive to we've got to have a class rank, can, you know, stop. Uh, We we can all recognize. And we've had uh, Supreme Court Justice from Texas put out a tweet just assuring everybody. He's like, for whatever it's worth, I am not going to be caring about this semester when it comes to choosing clerks. And I think that's more representative of where employers and judges are at this point and the way in which certain schools... And certain states, uh, in particular Georgia, where the schools themselves don't control it, but the people who work for the governor, the same governor who tried to keep the state open forever because and thought that the disease wasn't <laughs> spreadable, that guy, uh, those political appointees are keeping it from being pass-fail as part of uh, their commitment to this PR game. Uh, well, and, and it's a hoax,
1: right? I mean, I mean, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, they, they've turned away from it being a hoax, but they're still doing whatever they can to smooth it out and pretend it's not what it is. So that's where that's where they are. Anyway, so but that's, uh, that's what's going on in the law school world. There's not a ton more to say there. Uh, there are a few holdouts. But most everybody has come around to mandatory pass fail, certainly all the mm-hmm. T14. We talked a few weeks ago about this particular issue at that point, Chicago was still a, a holdout. I said they wouldn't right. be. they, for... they
1: that is correct. They I said they mind. would not be for
0: long, and they were <laughs> yeah. not. Uh, but yeah, so that's what's going on in law school. So we've covered basically all the phases of our uh, of our industry right now. Uh, we even yeah. <laughs> even legal tech we covered tech. Law firms, law schools, the bar.
1: Uh, this is this is what we do. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that it, it's been a very very busy set of weeks uh, at Above the Law. We've been churning out content at a higher rate than usual. So yes, if you
1: if you think that you know that we're con- there's more stories, you are not wrong. There yeah. are a lot more stories than there typically are, um, and we are writing them kind of fast and furious. Um, I actually had a PR f- person who represents a, a couple of firms reach out to me and say, you know. Um, I don't know how you guys are doing it. I only handle a few firms and you you have at least 40 or 50 firms you care about. I'm like, I have no idea what I wrote that, that yeah. yesterday. Like I, I cannot remember what firms, uh, you know, did what. It's all written down somewhere and I knew it at the moment. But yeah. after it's written, I got nothing.
0: Yeah, you've got to turn. I mean, it's the litigator mindset, right? Like yep. what yep. you learn a lot about something real fast and then when it's over, you have to dump all that and learn a new thing. Uh, new industry. Yeah, it's it's true, uh, but we've been putting out a lot. Uh, you should obviously be reading that at uh, abovethelaw.com. Another way in which you can keep on top of those stories is we have a newsletter, uh, both a daily newsletter that covers some of the key stories that we have, but also we have an alerts newsletter that you can sign up for for just announcements about salary changes and cuts and stuff like that. We also... You could just follow the Twitter account, which is at ATL blog, which means that you'd get notifications when new stories go up. You just get the headline uh, and then a link. So it gives you an opportunity to see that headline and go, oh, I want to read that one. And you can just click. Obviously, it's easier if you not only follow, but then have us in your notifications or in a separate list so you can see when new things happen. Does that make sense, everybody?
1: Cool. Makes sense to me. Yeah, excellent.
0: Uh, (laughs) And then you can also, of course, follow along with us. Uh, I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at catherine numeral1. Not the word numeral, but like numeral. Catherine1. Catherine1, yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) So you should be following along with us. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And you should be subscribed. That way you get this sent to you whenever it comes out. You also should be giving reviews, stars, write some things. It's even more important than the star because it helps show that there's engagement. Uh, and that helps move up the algorithms on all those uh, recommendation charts. You should be reading by the law. I said you should be listening to us. You should be listening to the Jabot, which is the podcast that you host independently. Uh, do indeed. You should be listening to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. You should be moving over to Logical, uh, which we already covered in the ad read. And I think that's everything.
1: Stay safe everybody.
0: Indeed, we'll uh we'll be back next week. I'll do that. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com. You can also find us at abovethelaw.com, atlredline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook.